You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week on episode 350, Ian Hislop says women are too modest to host Have I Got News For You. Well, he would, wouldn't he? Footballers who go into mourning if they score against the former team, Dominum Ad Nostrum. And how much diversity should we have expected in the Radio X Best of British poll? One wonders, really. That's all coming up after No Doubt and Don't Speak. Yeah. Uh-huh.
that was played to death on the radio when it came out and I thought I was over that song forever but I heard it again the other day for the first time I heard first time in years and it's such a good song it's such a good I'm not really a power ballad fan but it's I think we can class it as a rock ballad and I really like it I think it's beautifully sung by Gwen Stefani that was no doubt and from the album Tragic Kingdom it was called Don't Speak and it came out in 97 didn't it which is just crazy to think about now Peculiar also that it was a number one all around the world but didn't even chart anywhere in America on the Billboard Hot 100. Which, uh, which seems daft, doesn't it, really? But it was almost felt like they were Bush in reverse, really. <laughs> Our band Bush went to America and was huge. And they did a, 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 an excerpt on the news once, I think, I can't remember which channel it was, where they sent someone out on a with a microphone on an outside broadcast to try and find somebody in a British high street that had heard of Bush <laughs> and couldn't for about 10 minutes worth of drawing, I think. And so I, I do feel like no doubt was sort of like America's answer to Al Bush, I think. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 350. Uh, I'm Terence Stackham and this week we're back to the traditional convoluted intro to announce uh, the arrival of, uh, of Juliet. Oh, I missed this. Uh, yes. Well, no doubt she will speak. It's Juliet Harris. You know, I see what it's you terrible, did there. I'm, I'm, I'm just awful. grateful to have you here, so thank you very much. Hello, good evening and welcome. I really do need to work harder on those. Um, <laughs> or, or just not. Or, there is or, that. or not, yes, yeah. <laughs> that could be, could be just, the answer. I'm just, I'm just putting that out there, man. <laughs> um, Jules, way back in February of 2014, you and I discussed a piece from... Halcyon days, Terence, halcyon days. Our glory days, some would say. Um Discussed, we, we discussed a piece from the news of that week. Uh, Dara O'Brien was in, in the news criticising the, the BBC as it had been decided that all male lineups on panel shows like Mock the Week were to be curtailed. This was in the days that Danny Cohen was uh, in charge. And uh, there, there was going to be a mandatory place for women on all of these shows, QI, Would I Lie to You, and, and so on. O'Brien felt that it was wrong to plant, as he put it, what he called a token woman on these shows. Now, proving that life just keeps on repeating itself, this week, four years on, it's been noted how few women uh, guests are, are on, uh, how, few women, how few women actually appear or guest on one of the mm, BBC's mm. most popular ongoing panel shows, Have I Got News For You? And the two team captains, Ian Hislop and Paul Merton, quoted in the Radio Times this week, and they say it's not the sh- fault of the show's producers. In fact, Hislop says women are too modest to take on the challenge. Now, can this be so, Jules? Are women blushing prettily behind their fans, unwilling to appear alongside these big, tough men? Well, I have to say, my Twitter feed was full of people this week going, go on, then I'll do it, and they're all women. I'll I'll give it a go, man, if they ask me. Um, Although, as Stuart Lee pointed out in his great sort of autobiography slash book about a story of him doing stand-up, the fever going on has got news to you as a contestant is £600 or something, something not huge. So uh, so I don't know if you get more as the host, I'm not sure. But anyway, um, I do find that a slightly maddening attitude. I find it a typically male attitude, actually, a typically tone-deaf 
sort of attitude it doesn't really seem to have a kind of a, a you know any kind of idea of what it's like to be a woman as one would expect it's a man saying this but the only woman that has ever chaired have i got news for you is Anne widdicombe the only female politician mm. he was actually making a specific point about female politicians he didn't necessarily mean female comedians victoria corran sometimes chairs joe brand sometimes chairs and was brilliant actually she made that point about the um the sort of it the, the kind of sexism and, and and men kind of you know the me too campaign and, and men sort of dismissing it and i really took them to task in quite a quite a casual way as joe brand often does but in a really kind of good sort of well you know you wouldn't understand would you and I, it was really cool mm. to see her making those points so we you know we often have female comedians sort of hosting um but we don't often have uh we hardly ever have female politicians and it's very interesting i was reading a piece online uh, someone had analyzed and rewatched the Anne widdicombe appearance Oh, right. And okay. yeah. and they said that well, it featured um, well there was there was you know a couple of jokes about from Paul Merton about how she was going to make him and Ian his stop tea. Someone made oh, a dear. joke about about catching. I think it was Jimmy Carr made a joke about catching an STD from her. Oh, I mean it was Lord. really grim. And you and you feel like saying, well, is it any wonder that women don't go? Female politicians don't want to go and chair panel shows because yes, they gave Boris Johnson a bit of a hard time. Although uh, you know one might argue that that you know when. You know, if our politics does take a wild swing to the right in a few years to come, you can probably place the blame at have I got news for you for rehabilitating Boris Johnson mm. and making him a comedy figure and BBC Question Time for constantly putting on Nigel Farage all the time. He doesn't have a seat and neither to his party. So, so. I that's a that's a side point though I admit <laughs> but um, <laughs> but no I think I think the problem is is that it's such an intimidating atmosphere and I don't think that although they were tough to Boris Johnson that's the point I was making they were tough mm. to Boris Johnson would they would they joke about STDs with him mm, don't think so no, I I that's I, appalling. I, it is appalling, and and I find it. I find you know I'm no fan of Anne Widdicombe, mm. but I do think that's pretty bad. And actually, as a contrast to that, they had one of the tributes to Victoria Wood that was on at Christmas time. Um, they were talking about the big Christmas sketch show she used to do. And one year, the centerpiece was a song about Anne Widdicombe, poting fun to Anne Widdicombe, not seriously so I think but you know they made this sort of a, this singing kind of they did an all singing and all dancing number with her playing Anne Widdicombe and Anne Widdicombe went on the sort of one of these memory shows as a talking head mm. and she said that Victoria Wood had rung her and oh. asked if, if it was okay mm. and she said that you know she didn't she was invited to the screening and she didn't go because she thought it would be a distraction and she didn't go because she was home secretary at the time and she thought that she was doing a too serious a job or she might have been shadow home secretary mm, at the time mm. doing too serious a job to go and she said she rather regretted it she would have liked to have gone but she said that she she thought it said a lot about victoria wood that she asked permission and mm. you know and, and i think that contrasts quite a lot to the the blokey world have i got news for you it doesn't seem to change the way women are are, are treated on what these kind of competitive um shows i was just going to go along with your point because i i, I was looking up about this and way back in 2009 uh, victoria wood who you just referred to complained about what she referred to as the testosterone fueled nature of these shows yeah. and also it's funny you mentioned joe brand because she's also she's also had uh, similar views 
on that um, Mock the Week programme. She won't appear on Mock the Week because, and I quote, I don't like the prospect of having to bite someone's foot off before they let us say something. Um, so, so I think instead of simply saying that women are asked to appear but turn down the offer, as Hislop and Paul Merton have said this week, I just think television companies should look deeper and discover, as, as, you, mm. as you're saying, why women don't feel comfortable, which may Absolutely. lead to some of the male participants actually taking a long and perhaps uncomfortable look at, at, at their own behaviour. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's sort of the atmosphere of the shows. And um, I think another point that I was going to make was Mm. the only... I could, I mean, looking back on it, I think I probably argued against R.O. Breen's point about the token woman. I mm. think he was probably made in a, in a slightly blunt way. But one thing that, that does kind of prove his point a bit, sometimes it happens. But when you look at the idea that there has to be one woman on a panel show, QI is slightly different now. It has Sandy Toxvig as a host, and mm. she does very well. But it still worries me that when you look at those shows sometimes and if it's a person if it's a it's a it's a person presenting and then two on each team maybe or three on each team there's still only one woman isn't there and i mm-hmm. think there was always a bit of a danger maybe this is what daro Brin. i'll be charitable to him mm. maybe this was what he was driving at the idea that if you're saying you have to include a woman bosses will go fine we'll put one woman in mm. and it doesn't necessarily mean that you end up with you know proper feet you, you do end up with tokens having said that though um i've heard i've seen several episodes of qi i think and i heard several radio shows recently radio four shows where it's been all women Oh, good. And, it, mm. and it really makes me laugh that people mm. kind of comment on it. It's like, well, look, we don't comment on when it's all men because it's always all men, you know. So, so yeah, I, I do find it frustrating. And I find it, you know, I, I don't find Ian Hisstop to be part of the solution. And, and that, to, to use the old 60s phrase, if you're not part of the solution, then you are part of the problem, aren't you? Mm. Well, we'll be looking again uh, at an aspect of uh, women in in media and entertainment a little bit later on. But I mean, it's so frustrating. We try not to talk about the same topics every week, but it is the same old S word that crops up every single time, isn't it? And, you know, I'm, I'm quite cross about it. And I think because you are a decent chap, I suspect you're quite cross about it <laughs> oh, too, very, aren't you? Very, very much so. It's, and, you know, learning from what you've said about how um, Miss Whittacombe was treated. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I don't agree with it. Politically, but it is beyond the pale, really. Absolutely. Footballers wearing figurative sackcloth and ashes on the pitch. That's next, right after Latricia McNeil. He was a very special, warm and gentle person who put music in the world and spoken No, he always seems to be there when I stumble And when mountains got too steep for me to climb And it tears me up to think I never touched him Cause all it would have taken was some time oh, yeah. Ain't that just the way that life goes down, 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 down Moving way too fast much do 
short run of hit singles for Lutricia McNeil in 1997 and 1998 since when uh, she's rather disappeared. Another artist whose domain for their website has uh, expired and not been renewed which is often an indication of little current activity <laughs> yeah indeed it's a shame although i feel that she would be a kindred spirit to me that she would also be somebody who when you go to a theme park or a gift shop and you want to buy a key ring with your name on it she also would be someone who would be <laughs> yeah, disappointed so i think i think she would yeah so so um a hit all across europe including number six mm. on the uk top 40 and 97 lutricia mcneil and ain't that just the way I do really like that. I like it when you go down this sort of soul route. I really enjoy it. (laughs) Way, way back in time in 1974, in the last game of the football season, Dennis Law was playing the last game of his year-long contract with uh, Manchester City. Mm. And he was 34, retirement beckoned. In the awkward way that life sometimes pans out... Oh, yeah, thanks. I'm 33 out. years old and now feel as old as the hills. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, you're not Sorry. playing in the in the Premier Division for... Not, not at this moment in time, like anyway. Yeah, that's true. He was playing against Manchester United, the mm. team for whom he played for, for during the 11 previous seasons, mm. including, of course, six short years before, winning the European Cup. But now... In the 81st minute, Dennis Law scored a rather neat backheel goal against Manchester United, his former team. Uh, Manchester City finished a humdrum 14th, but mm. almost unbelievably in, in today's values, Manchester United were relegated from the mm. top division. So bereft uh, was Dennis Law at scoring against United and contributing to their demise. Uh, film mm. footage shows him refusing to celebrate and looking deeply upset. In fact, he walked off the pitch and was substituted. Now, if we contrast this with more recent times, a few seasons ago, Emmanuel Adibayor playing for Manchester City, mm. Man City again, uh, against his former club, Arsenal. Not only did he boot his former teammate, Robin Van Persie, in the face... Oh, I remember that. Yes, that was a bit uncalled for, wasn't it? A little. He received a ban for violent conduct. Um, he then scored a goal and raced the full length of the pitch to... Uh, to, to, to carry out a rather over-the-top celebration in front of the Arsenal fans. And again, I was looking at footage and photos of this uh, earlier today, and mm. it shows the Arsenal fans sort of virtually exploding with rage mm. and anger. Now, currently, the vogue um, seems to be to not celebrate when scoring against a former club. And I'm a bit confused by all of this, Jules. Um, most players 
don't get to score that many goals. So why not make the most of it and celebrate the moment? Mm, yeah, I agree with you. It, it is a bit odd, really. I mean, the Dennis Law thing, um, I wonder if it stems from a time where you have far more players that are what you call one club men mm. or, or perhaps two club men in Dennis Law's case. So so you play for a very long time for one club. I think players do move around a bit more nowadays. Yeah, perhaps not always, but quite often I think they do. And, and so it, it does feel a bit odd, like you say, that players don't don't celebrate against certain clubs because i mean i I suppose it's meant as a mark of respect really i guess if you've played somewhere for a while and you've built up a bond with those fans and you feel you've been treated well and then you move on particularly if you move on without any kind of um bad feeling uh there are some clubs for example uh sol campbell leaving tottenham Mm, for arsenal that had quite a lot of bad feeling around it didn't it but there are other players that leave clubs and weirdly wayne rooney seems to seems to move to clubs without particular bad feeling mostly because he's gone from a to b and back again hasn't (laughs) he so i suppose i suppose it doesn't really matter but um but it's it's interesting i i don't know how i feel about it really i suppose on one side i do in a way i kind of admire the respect for the past i suppose mm. i think that is quite nice and i I'd certainly don't agree with adeboyle going completely over the top i think that's really disrespectful if, if a club's been good to you and, and fans have supported you i can i don't think that's that's very fair having said that though ultimately football is a job isn't it it's not a it's not a a, a higher calling although some might disagree it's uh it's it's you know it's not something where you're trying to completely you know where you say we have to it's not like a well i say it's not like a religion again some might disagree but it's not like you know you kind of you sign yourself up to one belief or one faith and then if you're a player that is if you're earning your living from it then ultimately you know we all move on in jobs don't we we sometimes get to a job and we think oh i really like this job but someone nearer to me has offered me a job i've been offered more money somewhere else i think it's time to go and so so it does seem a bit odd that players don't celebrate so i I suppose it depends really on the situation the circumstances under which the Mm. player has left the club how long they've been at the club and if you've been on loan at manchester united for four months um i I suspect (laughs) that you might not have the same (laughs) the same sense of loyalty and sat on the bench you might not have the same sense of loyalty as say you are Frank Lampard and have played for Chelsea mm. for goodness knows how many years um, so I agree with you I mean there is if you're a striker and also I think it depends like you say about players not scoring that many goals it depends where you play as well I suppose really I wouldn't begrudge anyone that's a defender for example if Gary Pallister moved on from from, from Manchester United mm. you know Pallister would score one goal every couple of years so mm. I mean if you're not going to celebrate that one like you say it's sort of like a lunar eclipse isn't it it's not going to come around again for a while whereas if you are um, Van Persie, say, or or somebody like that, who you know whacks in a fair few each season. It, it does feel a bit run the mill, really, doesn't it? So, so I don't know. I think it all, you know, as, as, as a you know, to use the boring response, I guess it, it depends on each circumstance. I think the aspect of it that uh, irritates me is um, it seems so convoluted with the non-celebration thing because I've noticed that body language is all important when you're not celebrating a goal against a former team. Um, I've noticed your mouth has to form into a sort of downcast shape, like a a half moon pointing downwards. And then you have to walk slowly away from the scene of the crime, looking at your boots. You've got to look at the floor. Oh, yes. And you you have to basically look a bit like Charlie Brown, don't you? You have to be kind of discast and disconsolate. Yes, sort of sheepish. I think some also choose to raise their eyebrows in a sort of, well, what could I do kind of, you know, expression. The ball was there. It came off my boots. It went in the goal. By the way, the, the, the thing that you said about Dennis Law, mm. I think the thing that perhaps it almost felt, and I think often football, 
comes down to instinct, doesn't it? Particularly if you're a striker, you happen to be in the right place at the right time and you know when to be in the right place at the right time. And then it's sort of a reflex that you sort of, you know, you kick the ball or you throw your head out or whatever and, and you direct it in. Dennis Law's goal that sent Manchester United mm. down was that rather cheeky back heel. Yes. It wasn't just a kind of a, a sort of, oh, you know, I've, I've, I've headed the ball wildly and it's gone in. It was a very deliberate mm. kind of, um, you know, almost sort of cheeky, like I say, act. Mm. And I think it dawned on him after he'd done it what he'd done really and it just goes to show that actually players are at their best when they play on instinct really and if you're constantly holding back I don't understand how you can be as uninhibited enough to score a goal against your other, your former team and then all of a sudden when you come out of the reverie be very inhibited about celebrating it. Yes, it's, it's, I think it's all terribly complicated and I was thinking perhaps the Professional Footballers Association should run classes in how not to celebrate. So Absolutely, that, yes. To, to, you know, to some, sort of, <laughs> some sort of retraining centre yeah. maybe where everyone has to wear black armbands. The British radio station Radio X has mm. conducted a poll to find the best of British music. Uh, that's next, right after Naina Cherry. <laughs> How melodic.
both the UK Top 40 and the Billboard Hot 100 in 1998, the rather wonderful Nana Cherry and Buffalo Stance. I love that. And actually, when I DJ, I still play that pretty regularly, and it is still very popular. That record is held in great affection. Mm. Well, n- now, um, now Nana, the grandmother of a 14-year-old uh, <laughs> I son. Can't, I can't get over that. The thing I like about Nana is that she's done some really interesting things. So that thing she did a while ago, it was, it was literally called The Cherry Thing, which mm. I thought was brilliant which is this kind of album of slightly wild jazz actually it was really enjoyable although i have to say that it would be nice if buffalo stance was rehabilitated because unfortunately it was used on the as the incidental music on theme music of jamie oliver's 30 minute meals oh, and that Lord. has slightly tarnished mm. its memory for me so uh, nice to hear it in happier times <laughs> as nana intended one place you won't find nana cherry is on radio x's best well of regrettably no absolutely i'm um, just a brief sentence or two of history Radio X used to be called XFM, uh, but rebranded in 2015 as Radio X and was immediately nicknamed Radio Bloke as it appeared to have a significant male bias in its lineup of presenters and its playlist. And um, indeed, I looked at their schedule for today on Radio X and all eight presenters over the 24 hours are men. Um, maybe that's a, a curiosity but because... Um, over a third of listeners to Radio X are women. Uh, no, it's not 50-50, but considering right. all of the presenters are men. Um, Radio X has just run a listeners' poll where the uh, listeners were asked to vote for the best British songs of all time, and they, they've just published the top 100. I mean, it's always dangerous to get the general public to make oh. any of those sort of decisions, as the last as the last two or three years have perhaps taught us. Yeah, th- th- exactly. Never let them loose. Never let the public loose. Absolutely. Um, there are 16 songs um, from Oasis in the top 100, only five from the Beatles, but here's the thing out of the top 100 none by women uh, when one woman commented uh, on this on Twitter during the week she was corrected by a bloke who said don't forget Gillian in New Order which, you know Oh yeah, that's <laughs> fine then, that, that's <laughs> everything's, sorry Everything's alright yeah. We've got no third topic this week Exactly. Yeah. Now the Radio X top 100 is it, just about exclusively white and, and male and yes, I, yeah, there, I just... are, there are two black men in the bands that are included, there's one of Elbow and one in another band yes. I think. Now does this matter so much, Jules, or do, do we put it down to being statistically understandable if Radio X is largely reaching out to the lads and the bants market? Well, I mean, it's a bit... I do find it difficult, I must admit. It's 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 a bit of a pity, and I, uh, I to put it mildly, um, like, but as you say, if a third is if a third of the mm. listeners are women, it's so strange that there yes. haven't been any great sort of great female acts included, really. I, you know... Radio X, I suppose, to some extent, you say might might you know reflect its listeners. It's rather less enlightened than Six Music, I think. And actually, it's rather sad that that Radio X is now this way. Really, I, I didn't have great feelings about it when they rebranded and, and uh, immediately announced their radio DJs, their breakfast radio DJs, being Chris Moyles. Mm. That didn't exactly fill me with confidence, which is a pity, given that when I was at Law College in Guildford, so this would have been two thousand and five to two thousand and six. Mm. It was in the days when XFM 
it was was only available on digital in London and Manchester. Oh, yes, yeah. uh, so we're going back away now. And as a result of which, I got into. I used to alternate between that and Six Music. This was the days when uh, these were the days when Phil Jupiter's did the Six Music Breakfast Show. Oh, so it's, again, this is you know not long after after Six Music launched. Mm. And I used to listen to to XFM mostly because Lauren Laverne was on it. Oh, that yes. was one of her first radio gigs, and she was really good. And I used to she I think she was on in the mornings. She might have been the Breakfast Show actually, and I really enjoyed it. I thought she was brilliant and so you know it wasn't always this way radio x so so it's a bit sad to find it now um it's very much a kind of a uh, it, it sort of reminds me of the bad days of the end of Britpop, really, when Britpop that had started off quite a diverse movement that you know had mm. did have some some sort of black black people, particularly black women performers. Um, thinking of Skin from Skunk and Nancy and mm. uh, Sonia from Echo Belly, there you know there were there were you know there were some there was some ethnic diversity, not a lot, but some and quite a lot of female fronted bands. Uh, women did reasonably well out of Britpop, I think. But having said that. By the end of Britpop, it it had moved away from, and I think John Harris uses the example of Paul Weller in his book The Last Party, where you know Paul Weller actually has you know was in the Style Council, has quite a, a wide taste, and is it's a typical mod in the sense that he's got a really good knowledge of Northern Soul and sort of Motown and jazz and R and B, you know, traditional R and B, and has you know quite a diverse taste in music. Whereas his acolytes and the people that he surrounded himself with you know very much male lump and rock by and large and xfm sorry radio x in a way represents you know the the, the worst of rip hop you know to, to put to put it mildly or what is occasionally referred to and i believe Ar- andrew harrison coined this term of landfill indie mm. and there isn't a lot of diversity there isn't a lot of interest um i was very amused on twitter by somebody who's tweeted um that uh, I'm just trying to find the tweet because it made me laugh so much. That Radio X British, best British song list in full, and they gave the top seven as one: Wonderwall, two: Wonderwall Live, <laughs> three: Wonderwall '98, four: Wonderwall Demo, five: Wonderwall Instrumental, six: Live and Let Die Without the Reggae Bit, seven: Wonderwall Reprise, and it goes on. A uh, Brexit, I think, came ninth in this list. So, but there is, and it's, there have been various people, you know, doing the kind of the XFM alternative top fifty, and one of the, you know, it was Bands, Nan going way when someone drops their pint glass and all that kind of stuff and, and, and it is a shame because I do find it to be very laddish and, laddish and very reductive and it's such a pity when you've got something like BBC Six Music that you know have lots of female presenters I mean some of their better presenters are female Lauren Laverne again mm. Keris Matthews at weekends um, you know all sorts of people that are that are really good mm. um, Amy LeMay who they increasingly give her, t- her time to I'm very much enjoying the excellent Marianne Hobbs you know they, they, mm. they come up with a few you know several really good female presenters and i just find it so frustrating that that radio x is so locked in the past so having said this i will point out that bbc six music is not a commercial station it doesn't have mm. commercial realities to deal with radio x does have commercial realities to deal with and it then does depress me a little bit and again kind of going the way of brexit and you know uh, perhaps britain moving towards a more socially conservative mindset again you know is this what people are really thinking is this what people really want you know and uh, maybe uh, just quite principal skinners in 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 the simpsons are the children uh, am i wrong am i swear of touch no it's the children that are wrong and i find myself thinking oh maybe maybe it's maybe i'm out of touch or is it that people that like that really like the kaiser chiefs are wrong i don't know 
this list it, it is rather depressing. I mean, perhaps even more so in that it was almost certainly accurately audited and counted. And because in the old days, radio stations and music weeklies used to manipulate the results of polls yeah. to make sure all of the top positions were filled with both with personal favourites of the DJs and writers, not and varied the, acts as well, actually. Very much so, uh, and uh, often reflecting the varied views of the the writers and the DJs. Yeah. But uh, often in the music weeklies case, they they they, they worked it to ensure that they could put art artists on the front page who were known to shift copies so you're all yes. poll winners you know. but i remember when um Capi- <laughs> yes, Bjork not winning many polls yeah, actually yeah, exactly i remember when capital radio first started these listeners listeners polls back in the it was the late 70s i think <laughs> it was quite exciting back then to find out whether will it be hey jude or bridge over troubled water that's yes. going to be number one but these polls though they offered so often reflect the year or era in which they're taken and i, I was looking back um at uh, some some of these list of polls, I was looking at the Capital Radio Hall of Fame for 1984. Oh, the year of my birth. I'd be interested to hear this. This is exactly why it stood it, it stood out for me. And, and the, the, <laughs> God bless you, my child. The top twenty include this is the top twenty of all time. The Capital all Hall time of Fame ever, for all yes. time ever. And the top twenty includes Vienna by Ultravox at mm, number six, mm. Save a Pair, Prayer by Duran Duran at twelve. <laughs> Spandau Ballet's True at 13. I mean, they surely, they, they surely wouldn't get a look in now. Three Times a Lady, the Commodores at number 15. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I think, of all of those records, I mean, musically, I think Vienna is the most satisfying. Mm. When you listen to it from the beginning to the end, it does some really interesting things at the end. And I think the probably in terms of songs that will stand the test of time, I do think True by Spandau Ballet will, will stand the test of time. But, um, you know, for me, I hated it then and I hate it now. But, but you know, there are some people who you know I, I don't know but yeah like you say it does seem unlikely they would make the cut now i think they would yeah miss you nights by cliff was at number 23 oh, in gosh. the all time so um yeah this was at 1984 so times do change now i, all- th- I think that's a really good point actually i think mm. you're right i think it really does reflect the, the the era doesn't it really yes. although perhaps it's a little bit depressing about indie music that that oasis still and, and bands from the 90s still seem to feature so heavily i think any any kind of um music weekly poll in the 1970s whether it was the nme up until i suppose punk um or melody maker or sounds and if they did a you know your favorite song of all time stairway to heaven used to run away mm-hmm. with that every year but again mm-hmm. now i suspect new generations would say well stairway to where you know they, they, it oh, wouldn't, wouldn't, yeah. Always number one in our listeners' hall of fame is Juliet, of course. Oh, that's really sweet. Thank and, you. And as such, we need to know where we might find you this week. Well, so I'm I'm not out and about this week, but I will be out and about again next week. Okay. So, uh, so where we can hopefully catch up then. Um, or I am actually, if if you're going to see public service broadcasting at the Brighton Dome on Saturday night, then you might well see me there drinking some peanut butter stout that they sell there, and I'm very fond of. So, uh, so do wave if you see me. Um, I will be doing at the same time, thanks to the miracle of technology, I will be doing the Saturday social on Saturday <laughs> evening from six until seven pm on barricaderadio.com, doing Northern Soul, Motown, Monk, etc. Uh, Monk. Um, where was I going? Northern Salt Motown. Motown. Um, yeah. 
and um, mod, I think. And mm. I, I think I maxed out mod and punk and yes. somehow managed to... Although I, a new genre, Jules. I was going to say, well, I would crack out some Gregorian mm. chants if I could. Um, and then next Wednesday, I'll be doing Indie Wonderland Barricade Radio, um, 8 to 10 p.m. Um, I'll be running an interview with... Um, speaking of Britpop, mm. <laughs> yesteryear, I'll be running an interview with the drummer from Gene, Matt James. I met him oh, at the weekend. He was a really nice chap, and he had some interesting things to say. So um, Britpop, um, Indie, Alt, Miscellaneous, maybe some Monk who knows um, from 8 to 10 p.m on barricaderadio.com monk rock absolutely Uh, yes well i had a a good look and although it's a classic our closing track didn't make it either into the uh radio x poll or even into the capital radio hall of fame top 500 in 1984 but that's their lost jewels Indeed. Well, I'm slightly more surprised about the Capital mm. Top 500 1984. I, I thought this was the kind of thing mm. that might have snuck in, frankly. Um, I, this came on my iPod the other day, and I really like this song. Um, this is an embarrassing kind of generation omission. I first came across this song when Travis covered it live on television mm. at Grastonbury. I thought, that's a really good song. And I, I was trying to play it at home, and my mum went, mm, I didn't know you liked the band. And I, what, Travis? No, there's a band called The Band. And then, of course, you know, in these heady days of dial-up internet i was able to look it up but, um, yeah, even then admittedly it took me half an hour to listen to the song but still it was nice to hear it nonetheless um, i really like this this is the band and this is the weight
You have been listening to a DACA Media Production.